0: Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens They try to copy our style but they stay frostbitten From the broadcast to the podcast It is your man DM Cool And this is Cool Radio What we doing? You can catch me on your TV Even on the radio Pop up at our broad spot And on my way go We invaded in airwaves cool. We're, every, we're every, airwaves Hold up, why them haters mad? Ain't no stopping us, ain't no topping us. They be watching us, we so prosperous. Ain't no stopping us, ain't no topping us. They be watching us, we so prosperous. Oh, you didn't know? Your but better call somebody! Yes, y'all, yes, y'all. Back again, back again for another edition of Cool Radio. It is your man, DM Cool. And we got a live one for you guys today. So a lot has happened in the last two weeks, actually. And I couldn't help but feel remiss if I didn't talk about the following things that we we're going to discuss on this week's episode of Cool Radio. So there's a lot to dive into. Let's let's just keep it 100 on that. So I want to talk about this reporter who goes by the name of L'Oreal sounding like a bootleg version of that European shampoo, basically was the woman who called Michael B. Jordan corny during a press junket for Creed Three. So we're going to talk about that for the Mic Check segment of the day. We're also going to be talking about the new Chris Rock special called Selective Outrage. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about NBA superstar John Morant getting suspended for showing off his gun. On an IG live video while being at a strip club, amongst a myriad of other things that he's done over the last couple of weeks. So we'll get into that. Uh, we also got to get into this NBA quote unquote analyst who goes by the name of Kendrick Perkins. And I'm saying that for all my non-basketball fans who are listening right now, who basically said that this one, uh, you know, what? I'll I'll give you details on that as we get to the show or to the topic rather. Um, and then also, Wankster of the Week, it's coming back this week, and it's coming back with a vengeance, and I have a lot to say about that. And I just have a lot to say about today's episode in general because of the people that it pertains to, okay? Like, basically, the second half of this show basically could categorize or could qualify, rather, for Wankster of the Week. Like, literally, I was going back and forth between which one of these four Stories or topics, if you will, should be considered for Wednesday of the week. And I decided to put most of them in just for trip talk purposes. But the one that I chose, I think, is the right one to choose because it just speaks to a larger problem within our society. So I'm going to get to that. But before I get to all of that, you already know how I do at the beginning of every episode. I got some stuff to get off of my chest. So on that note. It is time to let that ish breathe let, let this bitch breathe. breathe so to kick things off with that that ish breathe and to kick things off with the show i figure let's do a movie review we haven't done a movie review since black panther wakanda forever which is back in november actually uh full disclosure y'all know i'm a marvel head i still haven't seen Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, and I don't know if it's because of the bad reviews I've been hearing for it, or just because I haven't made the time to go see it, I mainly want to see it because of Jonathan Majors, because I think he's a phenomenal actor, and I love the fact that he's now starting to get a lot of attention, and I'm here for it, love me some Jonathan Majors, which then brings us to our movie review for this episode, which is the review for Creed Three. Alright? Creed 3, starring and directed by Michael B. Jordan. It's his directorial debut for this film. And boy, oh boy, do I have a lot to say about this film. So, let me uh, give you all just a brief synopsis of what the film's about without any spoilers. And that's another thing as well. This is a non- spoiler review. I repeat, a non-spoiler review of Creed 3. So, if you haven't seen it, don't worry. I'm not going to you know, mention any major plot points or anything like that. I'll just mention some general stuff that doesn't ruin the film for you so you'll get your film viewing experience. Anyways, let me get into it. So brief synopsis of the film is that the Creed character, Adonis Creed, uh, he is now retired, actually. He's now retired, and basically what happens is he has his own boxing promotion, uh, kind of like Floyd Mayweather, basically, in that sense. And he is basically helping out younger talent, you know, rise in the ranks of the WBC. And while he's doing that, he comes across this one person who... He knows from his past, which is the character that is played by Jonathan Majors. His character's name is Damien or Diamond Dame, basically, who actually used to be an amateur boxer when he was young. But what ended up happening is that he got sent to prison for a gun charge and he was in prison for 18 years, basically. And so now he's out. He reaches out to Adonis and basically Adonis. Feels a sense of guilt, so to speak. I won't explain why, but he feels a sense of guilt. So he decides that he wants to help him out. But then he realizes that Dame is not the person that he used to be. He obviously changed while he was inside. And now he sees Creed as an enemy of his. And this is where their conflict kind of comes into play. But I'm skipping out so many important details because I don't want to spoil it for any of you guys. So there you go. Anyways. That is that is a brief synopsis of the film. Also, he does all this while trying to balance out family and commitments related to family. He has his wife, who is now, as opposed to being a record uh, uh, recording artist, he, she's now a record producer. She she writes songs for other artists, and then he has a daughter. I don't know the age of the of the daughter. I'm gonna say maybe around six, seven years old, give or take. But his daughter, unfortunately, is is uh, hearing impaired. And therefore, they communicate with one another through through, uh, sign language. And this was something that was hinted at in the second film. So it's not like this came out of nowhere. It it comes with the progression of the plot. So anyways, that's just a brief synopsis of the film. Now let me get into the pros of the film. So first pro of the film that, that sticks out to me right off the bat is the cinematography and the choreography of the fight scenes. Easily the biggest highlight of the film. So it almost brought me back to the first film uh, when you had Creed in, in all those different combat scenes. And I felt like a little bit of that was missing in the second film. But not only did they bring it back in the third film, but they brought it in the best way possible. I think out of all three Creed films, this one takes the cake when it comes to the fight choreography and the cinematography around the choreography so you have moments in this in this film where you see somebody like Adonis fighting or you may see somebody like um, uh, a dame fighting as well and for any anime heads who are listening right now it reminds me of when you have a fighter, and whether you're watching Dragon Ball Z or you're watching Naruto, for example, you always know that whenever somebody's fighting in the middle of it, there's like this moment of exposition where the character, the protagonist or whomever is thinking to themselves, oh, he's going to come at me from the right. So I got to sweeping on the left. Oh, he, he likes to use this technique a lot. So I got to figure out a way to counter it. They do that in this film. Not in that exact way, but like you see certain shots when they pan towards you know, um, uh, Creed's eyes, or they do like a side profile of him, for example, he's analyzing, he's analyzing, so I love the fact that they implemented that, and then, you know, they implemented the hits, and, and the amount of damage that the hits take, and what have you, so I really appreciate that, just from, as an anime fan, but just also as a fan of great fight choreography and as well as as well as the cinematography that goes into it there were there weren't too many cuts you know the cuts that they did put in there were very well warranted and they used like a lot of wide angles and like a lot of one-shot takes as well so i really appreciated that because that's what they did very well in the first film but i thought that they really improved on it in this film as well so kudos to them on that and Also, kind of going back to the anime thing, there was this one part, or not one part, but um, I think there are people who are saying how Michael B. Jordan was in an interview, and he was saying that there was one particular scene or moment where he does a punch that's very reminiscent of a scene in Dragon Ball Z, for example. So, throughout the entire movie, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where's this punch? Where's this punch? Is, Is it Creed that does it? Is it another character that does it? But then they showed it in a particular sequence within the film and the moment they showed it I was like yep that was it that was it (laughs) like it's it's like that um that me with Leonardo DiCaprio (laughs) when he's pointing at the tv that that's basically the moment you're gonna have if you're familiar with Dragon Ball Z and you see the punch that I'm referring to you're gonna be ah that's it that that was it right there so anyways I really like this uh the cinematography that's easily the best aspect of this film in my opinion but also Going into the uh, the fight choreography, I thought they did a really good job with the storytelling within the ring. Because for anyone who watches any, any kind of combat sport, whether it's MMA, whether it's K1, uh, whether it's boxing, hell, even if it's professional wrestling, if anything, especially if it's professional wrestling, you know that a story is being told in the ring. Not just a story that the fight promoters use to hype up the fight and what have you, but... When you're actually in the ring and you see the fighters going at it, they're telling a story on that squared canvas, and that's exactly what they did in this film. But I would say that in the the, the final fight, the final fight scene, they did a really good job of of accentuating that story by using certain elements. And again, I don't want to get into specifics because I don't want to ruin that experience for you if you haven't if you haven't seen the film yet. But I will say that when you do see it and when you do see that final part or that final fight scene and that particular sequence, you're going to know exactly what I'm referring to. And it kind of brings the entire story back full circle, which I really appreciate just from an attention to detail standpoint. I really like it. So, again, that's the fight choreography it was A1. So I thought, you know, Michael B. Jordan as a director did a really good job of telling um, the the choreographers and, and the directors of cinematography to be like, hey, this is what I want. I, I want to execute it like this. Show me what you got. And they did exactly that. And I thought it was excellent. So there's that. Um, also, I really like the character development uh, in, in the film as it pertained to the core characters, which is Adonis Creed, which is uh, also his wife, and then also even his daughter to a certain extent, because, again, we only saw the daughter uh, briefly in the second film as an infant, basically. Uh, But I really do like the character development of those characters, as well as the trainer uh, that was played by Wood Harris, who was also in the first film, who is now his full-time... Well, actually, I can't say they're his trainers. I mean, he is to a certain extent, but they run the promotion together. And that shows growth, because I remember in that first film... Wood Harris's character didn't even want Creed stepping into his gym, which is why he had to go and train with uh, with Rocky because he didn't he didn't, he didn't want him as, as 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 one of his understudies. Now they own a boxing promotion together, you know. So again, it shows the growth, it shows the continuity. Uh, so I really did appreciate that. I really did a lot. And going back to his daughter, I really love the relationship that. Him and his daughter have. And just the 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 daughter character herself was really just a standout character. Like just she's very charming, she's very endearing. Like she's not the crux of the film, but like you you just want to root for her in general, you know what I'm saying? And they use a lot of sign language in there, and she's very good at being demonstrative and expressive and what have you. So it, it was really it was really cool to see that. And just with the way they've, you know, propped up that character, if they do future installments of Creed, whether it's Creed 4 or they do like a spin-off or whatever the case may be, look out for her. That's all I'm going to say. Just look out for her. Like, And I hope they get the same actress to do it, too, because she did a really good job as well. I don't know if the actress in real life is also hearing impaired, um, but if she isn't, I, she did a really good job of accentuating that. And if she isn't, great. Like, she, she's... She, She's doing her, she did her thing in this film. She did her thing in this film, absolutely. I have no complaints about that character. Um, so yeah, those were my pros of the film. Now, here are my cons of the film. I think when it comes to the Creed character, and I and I literally just said how I really love the character's development. But if there's one thing within that character that's still lacking after three films, and after all the incidences that revolve around that is his is still the fact that he still has reluctancy to open up. And that comes ahead in this film in a major way, probably in the most major way that we've seen throughout the Creed franchise. And that's a problem. And like you'll see why it's a problem. So I just figured that, you know, with all the growth and maturity that he's had as a person and throughout his career, you would think that the character would still would would, would have less issue with opening up and and saying what's on his mind and communicating that effectively but it's still an issue it's still an issue even in the third installment so i thought that was a bit of a setback in my opinion because like had he been more prone to opening up or more open to opening up then there are certain i feel like there are certain issues within this this film that probably wouldn't. either taken place or it would have been wrapped up quickly, but then again, we wouldn't have ourselves a film. But still, I find it still kind of weird that even after all that you've been through, after all that we've witnessed as the audience, you still have issue communicating effectively. So that's just one of my drawbacks of the film. Um, Also, the pacing of this film was a little too fast, in my opinion. I felt like they rushed through very serious beats within the film, like very serious and critical arcs without the proper development, in my opinion. And because of that, it made the movie feel a bit rushed. I can imagine that the director's cut of the film was probably three and a half hours, I'm, I would assume. This movie runs at about just a little over two hours, maybe like two hours and 10 minutes, give or take. Um, no post credit scene, by the way. And yeah, I just felt like they rushed a lot of emotional beats within this film. I just found it to be very awkward in that instance. I said to myself, wait, This is important. Why are we just fast forward fast forwarding through this? I get it. We got to get to the climax of the film, and that third act is super important. Like that's like the money fight, so to speak. But it was just weird that things got progressed so quickly. And I'm not a fan of that within films. Like I like for films to have, you know, like it doesn't have to be a slow build, but a build nonetheless. Like a proper, at least a proper build, where it doesn't feel like we're, we're we're being rushed through something. So I felt like that was a drawback. In the film for me personally. Uh, And then. And then that kind of goes into. A point that I made earlier. There was one particular scene. In the film. Not going to say where it was. But there was one particular scene in the film. Where a conversation was was being had. Between two important characters. I'll say. And the conversation that they had. Easily. Could have been had much sooner. And had it been had much sooner, a lot of the trials and tribulation and the turmoil could have been easily avoided. Easily avoided. But then again, we wouldn't have a movie if that were to happen, you know. But it's like the way it was resolved. i like, really? Really? Like, y'all could have, like, had, like, a cup of coffee over this. Like, really? So, anyways... You could call that a minor nitpick or a nitpick in general, but like I just thought it was really weird that everything was all kumbaya after like talking for like two or three minutes when that easily could've just been done effectively at a different portion of the film. That's all I'm saying. But nonetheless, I enjoyed myself. I enjoyed that film a lot. I would definitely give it a repeat viewing. Uh it would definitely be something that I would see within the uh, chronological order of the Creed films. Like, I would watch Creed 1, Creed 2, and Creed 3, back to back to back. And even if you wanted to, you can definitely add it to, you know, the the Rocky storyline as well. If you want to go back to, like, 1975 and watch the first ever Rocky film, where the, you know, the relationship between him and Apollo Creed, the it, Creed's father, first began, and, you know, how that progressed throughout the Rocky series. So if you wanted to do that, then, yeah, you this would be another solid entry into that but overall as a film on its own what would I give it in terms of my cool rankings if you will I would give the film a solid eight cools out of ten so eight out of ten I would give it eight cools out of ten it's a solid film I say go watch it you'll you'll be impressed with the fight choreography the acting is solid uh, just a few a few, you know, nitpicks and cons I had here and there, but they don't completely destroy or ruin the movie in any, any given sense of the word. And I would definitely argue that this film, Creed 3, was better than Creed 2. And if I had to rank them from, I don't even want to say worse because none of the films have been bad at all. But if I were to rank it from least favorite to most favorite, I would say Creed 2, then Creed 3. And then Creed 1 is being still the standard bearer of the Creed series. But overall, it's a good series. It's a good series of films. I hope it continues with or without Sylvester Stallone. I don't know why he's moaning and complaining about the direction of this film or the direction of the franchise. It's probably one of the major reasons as to why Ryan Coogler decided not to direct the films going forward. Uh, but it, I would be curious to know. If or whenever the next Creed movie comes out, whether it's Creed 4 or a Creed spinoff, I'd be curious to know if Ryan Coogler was willing to step back in that director's role to have full hands-on, full hands-on, just a full hands-on experience with with the franchise, the one that he basically resurrected in a sense, right? I would definitely be curious to see if you would do that. Or if he just wants to stay in the shadows as like an executive producer, basically, because that's what he's been been doing throughout the entire franchise. But anyways, it's a good film. I say go see it. It's solid replay value. It's off. It's off the charts um, as far as far as the fight choreography is concerned. And I think you'll enjoy it if you're a fan of boxing, if you're a fan of combat sports or if you're just a fan of a good dramatic tale with boxing in the background as well. But yeah, those are my thoughts. What do you guys think? Have you seen Creed yet? If so, let me know. If not, please go see it. You'll have a a good ass time with it. And when you do come back to me and share your thoughts on it. All right. So now let's get to the mic check segment of the pod. And we're going to stick with Michael B. Jordan. And we're going to stick with Creed because it all ties into that. So what am I referring to? At the top of the show, I did mention that there is a quote-unquote reporter who goes by the name of L'Oreal. Again, she sounds like bootleg European shampoo. And she did an interview, a very quick interview with Michael B. Jordan during a red carpet press junket for the Creed Three uh, film. And this was done in Atlanta. Now, it was interesting because... She's made some. Well, did she make? No, no, she didn't make any comments at that moment. But Michael B knew exactly who this person was, and he was even trying to entertain her for a sec for a second. So you guys are probably wondering, yo, what am I talking about? What am I talking about? Or some people already know what I'm about to, what I'm about to talk about. This is what it was. This L'Oreal person used to go to high school with Michael B Jordan back in Newark, New Jersey, and around this time. He was an aspiring actor. So he had his headshots and everything like that. So going into the interview, she made it a point to mention that as she was interviewing him, that they knew each other from back in the day from when they went to this academy or of some sort. And the way he's looking at her, he looks very defensive and he looks very apprehensive as well. Like he looks like he's ready for drama. Or he's ready to just be petty, which I'm here for. And so when she's mentioning the fact that her and him went to the same high school together and grew up together, etc., etc., he looks at her and says, oh, yeah, I remember you. Yeah, you're the one who called me corny, right? Yeah, I'm that corny kid. Yeah, you used to call me. Yeah, yeah I remember. Nah, nah, nah. I remember you and your homies to say that I'm corny or, or that, that I'm corny. It's like no, no, no. That's that's just a mischaracterization, you know. I never said anything bad or anything like that. And it was it was everyone else. And he's like, no, no, I remember you used to call me corny. And when he was saying it, like again, like he he looked like he was very apprehensive. He looked very defensive, and even his body language. So he had his arms crossed, and his full body was even facing her. It was more like a side profile as opposed to facing her, meaning that. You don't even want to be there in that moment. You're not even giving the other person the courtesy to give them your full body, so to speak, in terms of body language. But you're just turned to the side. And I'm not mad at him for that. I'm not mad at him at all for that. I just want to explain to you guys how disinterested and how agitated that Jordan was in that moment. The fact that he had to talk to this this bum bitch who made fun of him for for being in that you know artsy community and, and wanting to express himself in that way as opposed to being a stereotypical nigga. Because if, if you are not a stereotypical nigga, then you are categorized as corny. And we'll get, we'll get into all of that. We'll get into all of that. But I'm just kind of painting the picture for you guys, so to speak. So basically, they had their little standoff, if you will. And then during the interview, he would try and bring other people into the interview. Like at one point in time, Jonathan Majors was walking past him, and he grabbed uh, Majors, and, like, they're all yucking, yucking it up and everything like that, joking, joking, whatever, and she tried to get into the conversation, and it was awkward, to say the least, like, her trying to be like, oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, yeah, you guys are out here doing it big, oh, my God, like, like she, sound, she basically sounded like a groupie, she sounded like a groupie, right, lo and behold, Jonathan Majors, from what I hear, is another black actor who has been called corny or is being currently being called corny right now because he's allegedly dating a white woman. But again, we'll get into all that stuff later on. Um, But yeah, he tried to bring him into the interview and he basically like peaced out after maybe like 15, 20 seconds, whatever. And then shortly afterwards, uh, Jordan had somebody, you know, come to his arm and kind of guide him to the next interview that he had to do. And I'm guessing it was probably one of his publicists or PR people or whatever the case may be. And so when that happened, this L'Oreal bitch had the audacity to say the following. And I quote, well, congratulations, Michael B. on the new movie. Well, this this part I'm paraphrasing. My, she's like, well, Michael B., congrats on the new movie and everything and all your recent success. And then this is what she says. And I quote, you're not corny anymore. I'm sorry, wasn't she the one who at the beginning of the interview said, oh, that wasn't me. That was a mischaracterization. So how do you go from I didn't say that, that that's a mischaracterization to you're not corny anymore? So did you call him corny back in the day or did you not call him corny back in the day? So she clearly lied and out and outed herself in that regard. And what's funny is that the Internet and you know me, guys, I have a love-hate relationship with the internet. But when it came to the internet, they basically dug up her dirt and unearthed some comments that she made about two years ago when she was on a podcast. And by the way, we will get to the host of the podcast later on, if you know what I mean. Anyways, on that podcast where she was a guest, a guest host or a guest star on or whatever you want to call it, she basically said how, yes, how they went to high school together and everything like that. And they would all call him corny because of the fact that they lived in the hood. New I guess Newark, New Jersey is the hood. Um, and basically they made fun of him because of the fact that he would, you know, show off his his headshots and what have you, and tell people that he wants to be an actor and a model, and that's what he's like aspiring to be. But they would make but they would make fun of him because of that. And this goes back into the larger issue that, that I've mentioned before with regards to black people being ousted by members of their own community for not adhering to their stereotypes, for not being hypersexual, for not being hyperviolent, for not being hyperaggressive. He wasn't out here selling drugs, he wasn't out here rapping about selling drugs, he wasn't a top five recruit in the country for basketball. He was just a regular guy, regular black guy who had an affinity for the arts, in this case being um, acting, and he wanted to pursue that passion. But they all called him corny because, you know, how dare you as a black man or as a young black man growing in America have ambition? How dare? Like you expect, you would expect, you know, super conservative white people to say some shit like that or hell, even or even some liberal white people. You never know, right? But to hear that from people who look like you, knowing how the rest of society views black people, and you want to go and shut his dreams down because he's not doing what the stereotypical black guy would do. And it's one thing if you're to excoriate him for that in high school. But you're still doing that. Past 2020, like you guys went to high school like 20 years ago. And 20 years later, you're still calling him corny, even though he's quite possibly the biggest actor in Hollywood right now, or at least, at least, bare minimum, at worst, one of the top 10 actors just in terms of popularity and visibility in the entire world. And you guys are still having conversations about him being corny. Listen, Kendrick Lamar said it best. I ran away from the culture to follow my heart, all right? Sometimes you just gotta run away from the culture because the culture is toxic as fuck. Like, the fact that you have 30-plus-year-old women with blonde and yellow weaves in their heads out here talking about whether or not a guy is corny because he's just nice. Like, in other cultures within North America, a nice guy is just a nice guy. That's it. He's a nice guy. He's cool, 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 cool. But in the black community, a nice guy is corny. And... In Canada, at the very least, I can only speak for Canada. I can't speak for anywhere, anywhere else. Corny is just another way of saying whitewashed. Literally. That's it. Like, when I hear those those people in America use the term corny to define, you know, a black guy who doesn't cater kid to kid the to stereotypes, it just sounds like be, you're 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 whitewashed. That's literally what it sounds like. Oh, he's whitewashed. Or, oh, he's trying to be white. Oh, he's lame. Oh, he's trying to be like this. and let, All that shit. All that shit. But nonetheless, let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. So, as they were discussing him being corny and what have you, they basically tried to clean it up, which they didn't. They just sounded more ignorant as they persisted along. And they basically tried to say how corny guys aren't what girls like until a certain point in their lives, which is true to a certain extent because you you tend to grow out of a phase where you want like the bad boy or whatever the case may be. But the problem with these types of women within the black community, and mind you, it's not all women in the black community. I just want to make that perfectly clear because I can already hear people. No, no, sorry. Nice try. Not going to catch me with that bait, sweetheart. But some black girls who participate in that group think flawed logic about corny guys and what have you is the fact that a lot of them are are. Well, into their 30s, who still have that mentality. Trust me, I've seen them, I've come across them, I've had interactions with them. Again, not all of them, but there is plenty of them that still have that mentality that past 30 will still call a black guy corny or whitewashed. Mainly because of the fact that he doesn't adhere to the stereotypes. Or maybe he just grew out of the shit out after a while. Either way, if you're if you in their eyes, if you're not a hood man, if you're not out here slinging rock, if you're not here putting hands on women, if you're not out here putting hands on people in general, if you're not out here trying to get a scholarship to play to play ball or any other black sport, specifically black sport, or anything of the sort that caters to a black stereotype. You are seen as corny. Even if you're past the age of 30, you will still have some women, some black women going off saying, Oh, this guy's corny. This guy's corny because he doesn't cater to a stereotype. That is fucked. So I can completely understand as to why Michael B talked to her the way he did. And mind you, he wasn't belligerent, he wasn't nasty. He wasn't, you know, lacing her up with with profanity or anything like that. He talked to her with the regular, you know, English dictionary. He still gave her the interview. Yeah, he kind of called her out for for her for her mishaps way back in the day, or not even way back in the day. We're talking about the last time she called her called him corny it was two years ago, basically. But nonetheless. He gets a classy. He gets a classy. He basically said, oh, yeah, I'm that corny guy who just so happens to have the number one movie in the box office right now. And you're interviewing me at my event, bitch. Yeah, say something now. Say something now. Obviously, he didn't say all that. But that was the swagger and the energy that he gave when he was addressing her, which I completely agree with. He did it the right way. If he had cussed her off, then he just would have. He would have bought into the ignorance, unfortunately, and it would have made him look that great of a person. So I'm glad he took the approach that he took because it still makes him look like the bigger person in the the end of it all. Now, what I would say to Michael B. Jordan are two things. A, stay away from women named Lori because he has a bad track track record with them, as we can clearly see. And B, do not go out of your way to cater to the culture. Don't do it. I had my criticisms of Michael B. Jordan when he dated Lori Harvey. And I personally feel like he dated her so that he can gain acceptance within the culture. I truly believe that. The same way that Will did for for Jada, I truly believe that he dated Lori for that same purpose. Because Lori... If we're being completely 100, is basically the new Laura London. She's the new Laura London. Let, let's keep it a book. She's the new Laura London in terms of the way, you know, all these guys, you know, fantasize and, 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 and ogle her and what have you. Like, I remember oh five oh six, 2005, um, Lauren London was that chick after her appearance in Atlanta, or ATL, rather, the movie from T.I., And now it's Lori Harvey. Mind you, Lori Harvey does nothing, all right? She's not a model. She's not an actress. This bitch does nothing, all right? She's a black Kim Kardashian. That's literally what she does. Absolutely nothing. And her her mom taught her how to do nothing as well. And yet, she has been linked to suitors such as Sean Combs Jr., which is basically P. P Diddy's son. And then after dating P. Diddy's son, she actually dated P. Diddy, which is fucking weird. Like nobody wants to call that out that that she dated that she dated her ex boyfriend's father after dumping her ex boyfriend. Like that's fucking weird. Okay, there's like a thirty year age difference between the two. Diddy is not that much younger than than her her stepdad Steve Harvey. It's fucking weird. All right, and then on top of that, she dated Future. She dated Future. Future is like the most toxic rapper of all time if I if he's got he's got to be up there he's got at least top five at least top five and he has like what like seven baby mamas so my question to Michael B Jordan is knowing all of that and this is this is this is the the black entertainment sphere so he knows what happens in these circles he I'm pretty sure he does knowing all of that why why her of all people why And you know what? Maybe he actually really did like her. I don't know. I don't know what goes on in this man's head. But I can't help but feel that a part of his motivation for dating her was so that he could be accepted by the culture. And I say to him, fuck the culture. All right? I'll say it one more time for the people in the back. Fuck the culture. And the reason why I'm saying fuck the culture and the reason why I've been saying fuck the culture the culture is because of the fact that the culture doesn't allow you to grow as a human being, as a human being, as a black human being at that. And hell, there have been aspects of the culture that have spilled outside of the community. And we've seen ratchet behavior from people of outside the black race. And you can trace that back to the negative aspects of black culture. And that's one of them. So I say to him, why indulge yourself in that? Like, you're 30-something years old. You're one of the biggest actors in Hollywood. You're on a, you're on a wave right now. You don't need that disrupting your flow, your, your feng shui of, of good energy. You don't need that. You're better than that. You're way better. You've been better than that. Ever since your first role in Hardball with Keanu Reeves, yeah, I remember that shit. I didn't know who he was at the time, but now looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, he wasn't there, wasn't he? His, his rise in, in The Wire... And all the films and shows he's done since, whether it was um uh, what's that football one? Friday Night Lights, whether it was All My Children, whether it was Chronicle, uh, whether it was hell, even even the, the Fantastic Four movie, sure, whatever. It wasn't the greatest thing, but hey, you're doing something outside of the realm of the culture. Um, whether it was that dating movie that he was in with Zach Efron, like he's been he's been golden even before he became the it guy. It's only now, however, that you know a lot of the a lot of these women who are advocates of the culture are now paying attention to him. Ever since the first Creed movie, because then he got all swollen D's, whatever. And then by Black Black Panther, it was our rap basically. So I say to him, and I say to anyone else who is having that conundrum, listen, fuck the culture. And when you say fuck the culture, you will be so much better. In that regard. You know why? Because you can breathe easy. You can breathe easy knowing that you're not going to have some sort of anxiety attack. Trying to figure out whether or not you fit in the culture. And I quoted Kendrick Lamar earlier in the pod. And I'll say it again from Kendrick Lamar. I ran away from the culture to follow my heart. And that's exactly what Michael B. another people like him whether they're celebrities or not need to do follow your heart follow your own personal interests and if they don't align with the stereotypes of the culture then fuck the culture the culture can kick rocks and get splinters in the process for all i fucking care because all the culture is is nothing but advocating for for stereotypes that make us less than what we are and it's it's to impress people who don't give a shit about us and i'm not talking about white people or whatever the case may be. It, it, it's it's, it's trying to impress other black people who don't even have their own shit together, but they'll go ahead and judge you because you don't know how to rap a certain lyric or because of the fact that you don't bow down to the next bad bitch out here that's talking about fuck niggas and fuck niggas this and everything in between. Fuck the culture. You don't need it in your life. The culture will fuck you. The negative aspects of the culture, I should say, will bring you down. That's all it is. It's it's, it's, a, it's a crab in the bucket mentality. And it's all about showing off for people who don't give a shit about you. So I say to Michael B. Jordan once again, and to other people who who fit that bill, don't even sweat the culture. The culture isn't for you. And, and and if anything, you're you are better than the culture, straight up, straight up. Now this is not me saying to you to go full heel, Uncle Ruckus, and just be like, oh fuck, black people. No 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 no. We're not doing that. I'm saying when it comes to the culture, I'm talking about the negative aspects of the culture, the negative stereotypes of the culture that define the culture. Get all that out of your system and dismiss it. You don't need it. It, it, It'll be nothing more than a burden and a hindrance in your life if you subscribe to it and cling on to it for some form of validation. It's fool's gold at this point. And I hope that going forward, Michael B. Jordan and others alike learn that as well. But hey, maybe I'm just bitter. Maybe I'm just jaded. But the question is, do you agree? Do you disagree? Are you a black person listening to this right now who feels as though they've been ostracized by the culture and feels like they can't be themselves because of the culture? Are you a black person listening to this and you feel like you are one with the culture and you kind of cater to those stereotypes? Either way, whatever side of the spectrum you lean on, listen to this hit me up on social media and share your thoughts and we can have a conversation about this all right let's get into trip talk okay so three of the hot topics that took over music and pop culture and let's get to it so keeping with the theme (laughs) keeping with the theme of the culture oh god this culture talk i feel like that should be the uh, the name of the of the podcast, but nah, it's it's. But by the time you're listening to this, it's going to be something else. But nonetheless, this is the subtitle of the of the episode, Culture Talk. That'll be the subtitle. Anyways, I digress. Chris Rock recently put out a Netflix stand-up special called Selective Outrage, and boy oh boy, was that name was that title very fitting to say the least. So it's about an hour long, maybe like an hour and ten, hour and ten, give or take. And he's making fun of a myriad of things. He's making fun of woke culture. He's making fun of how you know businesses are are super fake when it comes to woke culture. Uh, he's talking about how attention our how attention hungry our society has been, whether it's social media and just posting the most random things on social media just for likes and stuff like that. And then, of course, he gets into his bag of, you know, family and relationships and everything like that, uh, which is what I expect from Chris Rock. And to close out the final 10-15 minutes of the stand-up special, he speaks on the Will Smith incident, all right? And the main thing that he said about the Will Smith incident is the fact that he loved and adored Will Smith for so long and has always wanted to see him win. But nowadays... He can't wait to see him get his ass beat whenever he's watching Emancipation. <laughs> the man said how he had... He had, he, he said how Massa had... He said how he was cheering for Massa to whoop his ass. <laughs> he had me cheering for Massa, damn it. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, no, he, he basically gave his take on the whole Will Smith situation and basically said how... You know like it's not his fault that he well i'm paraphrasing mind you uh, but he basically said how it's not his fault that his wife cheated on him with his son's friend you know what i mean and he also said how with relation to selective outrage he said how will smith got joked on and clowned on by a myriad of people whether it was Charlemagne the god or the rest of the breakfast club uh, by the view uh, by a whole bunch of other you know, talk show syndications and everyone in between. But when it came to him, he decided to swing a punch on him because he knew with his stature, Will Smith's stature, compared to Chris Rock's stature, that Chris was not going to be able to do a damn thing because there's a noticeable size difference. And I love the fact that he said that because last year, if you guys remember, when I did my whole entire episode based on the chris rock will smith scenario i said how will smith would never keep the same energy for let's say dwayne the rock johnson for example or he wouldn't keep that same energy for like let's say jay-z for example or any anyone else that has either a noticeable size difference from him that may be greater or somebody that may have the juice so to speak but Chris Rock's some scrawny-ass comedian who's the same age as him, but he's obviously a bit more fit than him. Oh, yeah, he can get away with, with, with a slap on stage on national television, no problem. But he made an excellent point in, like, he chose Chris Rock as his target because Chris Rock was the easiest target. And then he had some uh, stray bullets for uh, Jada Pinkett as well, saying how he, he, he called her a bitch. He called her a bitch. And I loved it. I loved it. I was like, finally! Somebody's holding the candle to her. It's about fucking time. And he basically made fun of, you know, her 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 dumbass uh show. And he made fun of the fact that, you know, both him and her go on the show and talk about, you know, you know, the affair that took place and how, you know, her cheating on him made him feel and all that shit. So I say all that to say that Chris Rock said the right things. And I think it was smart of him to save that portion of the stand-up for the last 10 to 15 minutes of the stand-up because had he opened up the show with that and then talked about everything else afterwards I feel like people would have lost interest because we've been waiting to hear from him ever since the Oscars because it's been a year since then and we hadn't heard from him not on a large you know platform or anything like that and he also said how he made the conscious decision to not go off on different talk shows and do interviews about this because he didn't want to come off as a victim he said that he's not a victim and i agree with him that he, well well i agree with him to a certain saying he's a victim in the sense that he got assaulted you know with uh on unwar- he got an unwarrant assault on stage right like you're definitely a victim in that regards you're a victim of of assaults that's what you are and i called him a victim on that i say he's a victim of that i didn't mean the the term victim in a demeaning way or anything like that i I meant that in a literal term like he actually was a victim because of the fact that he got assaulted he got assaulted and accosted but again when we go back to the culture you know you you (sighs) i'm so frustrated talking about this right now like again when we go back to the culture once again when things like that happen, we celebrate it. In the form of Will Smith, we celebrate it because of the fact that that's how black black people apparently handle the issues. They handle the issues by slapping dude you across the face on national television. So I'm actually happy that Chris Rock took the mature approach and said, all right, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fall back. Now, for me, I would have sued the motherfucker because I'm petty like that. But he waited a year. He got into his booth, you know, went into ether mode and decided what the hell he was going to say about him. Now, of course, everyone would be hoping that he would have done an entire special just roasting the fuck out of him and Jada. And fuck, you may as well just roast his kids while you're at it because those kids are weird as fuck. But he decided, no, I'm going to put it in a comedy special. I'm going to give the last 10 minutes of my comedy special to him and just excoriate him. And do it with extreme prejudice. And that's exactly what he did. So I'm proud of him for doing it. Um, and he held his ground. He called Jada Pinkett a bitch. Which is what I called her in my podcast. What I've been calling her for the past year now. Um, and rightfully so. Because you don't cheat on your husband especially with your son's best friend of all people which is fucking weird and then compare your son's best friend to tupac and say oh he gave me an energy that i haven't felt since tupac and then still go off about tupac for the entire time that you guys have been married like you're fucking sick and i don't know why Will smith is married to this bitch of a woman like she's disgusting so I don't care how harsh I'm being. I don't care how much alopecia she is. She's she's a bitch for what she did. I'm sorry. And and actually, no, I'm not sorry. And Chris Rock called her out for it, and I'm glad he did. And I'm not gonna go into the whole, oh, well, if this is the roles of reverse, I, I already did that. I did that a year ago. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna rehash that again. What I will say is this there was nothing wrong with what Chris Rock said about them in that stand up. Nothing wrong at all. He spoke the truth. And I'm glad he spoke it bluntly. And I've been waiting for him to speak on it bluntly. And that's exactly what he did. But my question is for you guys listening right now. Have you seen the Chris Rock special? What do you think of it? Do you agree with the sentiments that I'm pointing out? If you haven't seen it does me describing it make you want to go see it either way let me know what your thoughts are on the special all right let's get into trip talk okay so three of the hot topics that took over music and pop culture and let's get to it so keeping with the theme <laughs> keeping with the theme of the culture oh god this culture talk I feel like that should be the uh the name of the of the podcast but not nah, it's it's but by the time you're listening to this, it's going to be something else. But nonetheless, this is the subtitle of the of the episode, Culture Talk. That'll be the subtitle. Anyways, I digress. Chris Rock recently put out a Netflix stand-up special called Selective Outrage. And boy, oh boy, was that name, was that title very fitting, to say the least. So it's about an hour long, maybe like an hour and ten, hour and ten, give or take. And he's making fun of a myriad of things. He's making fun of woke culture. He's making fun of how, you know, businesses are, are super fake when it comes to woke culture. Uh, he's talking about how attention, our, how attention hungry our society has been, whether it's social media and just posting the most random things on social media just for likes and stuff like that. And then, of course, he gets into his bag of, you know, family and relationships and everything like that. Uh, which is what I expect from Chris Rock. And to close out the final 10-15 minutes of the stand-up special, he speaks on the Will Smith incident, all right? And the main thing that he said about the Will Smith incident is the fact that he loved and adored Will Smith for so long and has always wanted to see him win. But nowadays, he can't wait to see him get his ass beat whenever he's watching emancipation. <laughs> The man said how he had he had, he, he said how massa had he said how he was cheering for massa to whoop his ass. <laughs> he had me cheering for massa. Damn it! <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, no, he he basically gave his take on the whole Will Smith situation and basically said how you know like it's not his fault that he well I'm paraphrasing, mind you, uh, but he basically said how it's not his fault that his wife cheated on him with his son's friend. You know what I mean? And he also said how with re- relation to selective outrage, he said how Will Smith got joked on and clowned on by a myriad of people, whether it was Charlemagne the God or the rest of the Breakfast Club, uh, by The View, uh, by a whole bunch of other you know talk show syndications and everyone in between. But when it came to him, he decided to swing a punch on him because he knew... With his stature, Will Smith's stature, compared to Chris Rock's stature, that Chris wasn't going to be able to do a damn thing because there's a noticeable size difference. And I love the fact that he said that because last year, if you guys remember, when I did my whole entire episode based on the Chris Rock-Will Smith scenario, I said how Will Smith would never keep the same energy for, let's say, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, for example— or he wouldn't keep that same energy for like, let's say, Jay-Z, for example, or any anyone else that has either a noticeable size difference from him that may be greater or somebody that may have the juice, so to speak. But Chris Rocks, some a scrawny-ass comedian who's the same age as him, but he's obviously a bit more fit than him. Oh, yeah, he can get away with, with, with a slap on stage on national television. No problem. But he made an excellent point in like he chose Chris Rock as his target because Chris Rock was the easiest target and then he had some uh stray bullets for uh Jada Pinkett as well saying how he, he he called her a bitch he called her a bitch and I loved it I loved it I was like finally somebody's holding the candle to her it's about fucking time and he basically made fun of you know her 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 dumbass uh show and he made fun of the fact that you know, both him and her go on the show and talk about, you know, you know, the affair that took place and how, you know, her cheating on him made him feel and all that shit. So I say all that to say that Chris Rock said the right things. And I think it was smart of him to save that portion of the stand-up for the last 10 to 15 minutes of the standup because had he opened up the show with that and then talked about everything else afterwards. I feel like people would have lost interest because we've been waiting to hear from him ever since the Oscars because it's been a year since then, and we hadn't heard from him, not on a large you know platform or anything like that. And he also said how he made the conscious decision to not go off on different talk shows and do interviews about this because he didn't want to come off as a victim. He said that he's not a victim. And I agree with him that he well, well I agree with him to a certain extent. he's a victim in the sense that he got salted you know, with, uh, unwar- he got an unwarrant assault on stage, right? Like, you're definitely a victim in that regard. You're a victim of of assaults. That's what you are, and I called him a victim on that. I said he's a victim of that. I didn't mean the the term victim in a demeaning way or anything like that. I, I meant that in a literal term. Like, he actually was a victim because of the fact that he got assaulted. He got assaulted and accosted. But again, when we go back to the culture, you know, you, you, <laughs> I'm so frustrated talking about this right now. Like, again, when we go back to the culture, once again, when things like that happen, we celebrate it. In the form of Will Smith, we celebrate it because of the fact that that's how black black people apparently handle the issues. They handle the issues by slapping a dude across the face on national television. So I'm actually happy that Chris Rock Took the mature approach and said, all right, you know what, I'm I'm, going to fall back. Now, for me, I would have sued the motherfucker because I'm petty like that. But he waited a year. He got into his booth, you know, went into Ether Mode and decided what the hell he was going to say about him. Now, of course, everyone would be hoping that he would have done an entire special just roasting the fuck out of him and Jada. And fuck, you may as well just roast his kids while you're at it because those kids are weird as fuck. But he decided, no, I'm going to put it in a comedy special. I'm going to give the last 10 minutes of my comedy special to him and just excoriate him and do it with extreme prejudice. And that's exactly what he did. So I'm proud of him for doing it. Um And he held his ground. He called Jada Pinkett a bitch which is what I called her in my podcast, what I've been calling her for the past year now. Um, and rightfully so, because you don't cheat on your husband especially with your son's best friend of all people which is fucking weird and then compare your son's best friend to tupac and say oh he gave me an energy that i haven't felt since tupac and then still go off about tupac for the entire time that you guys have been married like you're fucking sick and i don't know why Will smith is married to this bitch of a woman like she's disgusting so I don't care how harsh I'm being. I don't care how much alopecia she is. She's, she's a bitch for what she did. I'm sorry. And and actually, no, I'm not sorry. And Chris Rock called her out for it, and I'm glad he did. And I'm not going to go into the whole, oh, well, if this is the roles of reverse, I, I already did that. I did that a year ago. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to rehash that again. What I will say is this. There was nothing wrong with what Chris Rock said about them in that stand-up. Nothing wrong at all. He spoke the truth. And I'm glad he spoke it bluntly. And I've been waiting for him to speak on it bluntly. And that's exactly what he did. But my question is for you guys listening right now. Have you seen the Chris Rock special? What do you think of it? Do you agree with the sentiments that I'm pointing out? If you haven't seen it, Does me describing it make you want to go see it? Either way, let me know what your thoughts are on the special, and let's talk about it. Now, continuing on with the culture talk, we got to talk about NBA superstar Ja Morant, all right? So Ja Morant has been getting into a lot of controversy lately, but his latest string of controversy comes in the wake of him flashing off firearms at a strip club on an ig live video at that point the team that he plays for the memphis grizzlies decided to suspend him now they said he said in the statement that i'm going to take some time away from the team yeah no no nigga you got suspended all right you got suspended it sounds nice when you, you do like an open letter and say, oh, I'm going to take some time. No, no, no. It means that you and the team agreed that you will have an indefinite suspension and that you will come back whenever you are ready to actually compete. That's what it meant. Okay. Now, not only did he do all of this, but he has also him and his team. And when I mean team, I'm talking about the basketball team. I'm talking about the fact that they've been doing a lot of trash talk. And they haven't accomplished anything as far as winning an NBA championship or going to a conference final or anything like that. They're they're a fun team to watch. They're fun. They're exciting to watch. There's a lot of exuberance and everything like that. But they act as if that they've won five championships in a row. And they haven't done anything to earn their braggadocious demeanor. I don't mind players having fun and getting into the game and everything like that. It's cool. But when you're talking trash to other teams that have actually done it, like the Golden State Warriors, for example, who've done it four times within the last what six years, or no, eight years, they've done it four times in the last eight years. And you're and you're talking trash to them of all people. nah, it's not gonna fly right with, with, with anyone. You have to at least win one championship in order to start talking trash. Like I didn't even see the Raptors talk trash after their championship season. But some teams, some organizations, and some cultures within those organizations are built differently. And to me, they come across as that youthful AAU team who just does a bunch of fancy dribbling tricks and just shoots from half court so that they can impress everyone on the gram. That's what the Memphis Grizzlies are. They're an AAU team. So anyways, as I'm continuing along, he he and a member of his entourage, so not his teammates, but his entourage, the people outside of the team, they basically were were alleged to have pointed a gun at the team bus of the indiana pacers after a heated game between the two teams and then on top of that not only did he do that but he allegedly punched a 17 year old recently over what i have no idea and because of all these stories i've come out including the latest one with him you know flashing off the gun and everything his endorsement deal with PowerAid has now fallen through. And this is a new endorsement deal that he recently just got. And last time I checked, PowerAid didn't really have any any spokespeople recently. Like Gatorade will have like, you know, Paul George or whomever, for example. But PowerAid, as far as I know, they haven't had any reputable uh, repu- re- reputable spokespeople who are in who are like the front faces of their of their club team so John Morant was was bound to be the first one in however many years and he managed to fuck that up and he just launched a signature sneaker with Nike as well now I haven't heard any news from Nike but we saw what happened with the last guy that basically you know ran amok with the words and comments that he made cough cough Kyrie and they dropped him as a signature athlete you don't think that nike's gonna do the same thing towards him and at least in this instance one could argue that Jaw's instance was worse because now we're talking about potential gun violence and not just potential gun we're talking about violence in general because you were allegedly caught flashing a gun at your at an opposing team bus You allegedly struck a 17 year old. So in other words, you struck a minor and not even allegedly, but you unequivocally brandished a gun on an IG live video. We all saw the video. And again, this goes back to culture talk. This is what the culture will have you doing. Remember way back in the day. During the Ch- the Chappelle Show, when Dave Chappelle said, "When keeping it real goes wrong," this is one of those moments. I remember a stand up that Chris Rock did years ago. Years ago, I, like maybe two thousand eight, maybe it was a bit further back than that. But he made fun of the fact that some black people like to keep it real, keep it real, which usually means just keep it ignorant. That's exactly what what John Moran is doing right now. Dude, you're 23 years old. You are one of the fastest rising superstars in the NBA right now. You're probably the most entertaining superstar in the league right now to watch play because of the amount of dunks that you're yamming on people and stuff like that. And yet, and yet, you are finding a way to fuck up your own career by trying to act gangster, by trying to act hood by trying to act hard by trying to act like you're one with the culture this is what i'm talking about the culture will get you in fucked up situations just so you could you you can impress a bunch of people who don't give a fuck about you all these you know hang arounders and, and and people in your circle who are from your ends your hood whatever the case may be they don't give a shit about you they they're literally watching you make an ass out of yourself and you're being, and they're being entertained by that. You are only good to them for, for the amount of money that you can provide for them. And when you can't, they will leave you. We've seen this story before in music, in sports, and in other avenues as well. And this is yet another case of that. So I don't know why he feels like it's, it's important for him to cater to the culture in this manner, but it's fucking stupid. And and you're a multi-million dollar athlete. You you are your your two hundred million dollar contract kicks in next season, which means that you are going to get paid anywhere between forty to forty five million dollars per year. And that's just your NBA contract. We haven't even factored into your endorsement deal with Nike uh, to to be a signature athlete. And we didn't even kick in the Powerade deal, which now unfortunately has fallen through because you decided to act like a jackass. Again, said it before. I'll say it again. Fuck the culture. Straight up. And if you need further, I mean, I don't know how much more proof you need. In order to see how flawed the culture is. But look no further than this example right here. But again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm the hater in all of this. Either way, what do you think about jazz situation? You already know what to do. Hit me up on my socials. Add me in. Let's talk about this. And final topic on Trip Talk. Kind of sticking with the basketball theme here. We got to talk about this jackass named Kendrick Perkins, okay? And again, this was another Wankster of the Week-worthy topic. But, you know, I need content to fill in my my airwaves. So, this guy, you know, sticking with the culture, keeping it real dumb, this guy who was a previous player and is now a quote-unquote analyst, and I use that term very loosely because a lot of retired basketball players sound like jackasses nowadays but that's neither here nor there this guy is trying to say that the current reigning and defending back-to-back regular season mvp of the nba nikola Jokic, a player of serbian descent is only getting consideration for his third mvp year Sorry, for his third MVP award in a row. Mind you, he hasn't won it, but he's look, he's looking like the front runner to do so yet again. But the only reason why he's getting it is because he's white. And that 80% of the voters who vote for MVP are white. Now, I find it funny that he says that because, A, that stat is is wrong. And it's wrong because literally the next day, like the day after he said that on ESPN First Take... The host of First Take, Molly Caram, had to come out with a statement and state that the percentage of of white people or of white voters on that voting panel is not, in fact, 80%. They didn't specify what the percentage was, but it's not 80%. So now you're just lying to people with fake stats. If you wanted to say that the majority of the voters are white, you could have said that. But you had to add in a specific number to accentuate your point. And that's where you fucked up. Because analysts. Quote unquote analysts like Kendrick Perkins. Don't like to use numbers. They don't like to use stats. They don't like to use facts. All they like to use is their eyes. They, they go by what they call the eye test. And because of the fact that Nikola Jokic. Is not a flashy player. By any means or by any stretch of the imagination. They can't possibly see him. As the MVP. And this also brings me to another point. That he tried to. Articulate, which he couldn't because he's a fucking country bumpkin who probably dips his fucking crayons in barbecue sauce and drinks barbecue sauce on a hot summer day. This guy tried to say that within the last 30, 33 years from 1990 onward, that the only white players to have won MVP are Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki and and Nikola Jokic, which is true. They are the three only white players who have done it. But he was trying to make the point that they are the only three players who were named MVP who were outside of the top 10 in scoring. So that's partially false because, A, Nikola Jokic was tied for 10th in scoring a couple seasons ago. And, B, Dirk Nowitzki, when he won the regular season MVP award, he was also tied for 10th in scoring along with Tracy McGrady. All right. So this guy's out here lying. He's out here lying to people. Now, granted, Steve Nash was outside of the top 10 in scoring, but the, the MVP award doesn't go to the best scorer in the league. Otherwise, Carmelo Anthony would, would have at least had two MVP scoring titles to his name. Kobe would have had at least another two more to his name. And Kevin, Grant, Kevin, Kevin Durant would have had the same outlook as well. So it's not just about scoring. It's about what you do for your team that elevates your team. It, it goes to the best player on typically a top three-seeded team. That's what we've usually seen in the MVP uh, voting and what have you. Now, granted, Russell Westbrook in 2017 was an outlier because he literally broke a 40-year-old record. And on top of that, it was all narrative-based because of the fact that Kevin Durant had left a team that eliminated them in the playoffs. And now it's about him trying to get his revenge, et cetera, et cetera. That was a narrative, Okay. And then with Nikola Jokic winning it last year, he was a sixth seed as well, but he did it without the help of his two best players alongside him. So when I hear Kendrick saying that it's because they're white, no, it's because they're skilled, motherfucker. All right. Being MVP is more than about, you know, scoring 35 points a game and having a wicked handle, it's about what you do for your team that elevates them. When Steve Nash won back-to-back MVPs in 05 and 06, he took a Phoenix Suns team that was basically a lottery team, and he elevated every single player around them. A lot of people forget that Stephon Marbury played for the Phoenix Suns in the early 2000s, and the best they were able to accomplish is a first-round playoff appearance in 2003, which quickly ended at the hands of the San Antonio Spurs, who later won the championship that year. Steve Nash came to that team in the 04-05 season and he did what Jason Kidd basically did with the New Jersey Nets team in the early 2000s and made them a contender. He made all the players around him better. Amari Stodomari became an all-star because of him. Sean Marion became an all-star because of him. In fact, Sean Marion never became an all-star again after he left Phoenix. So that tells you something. Quentin Richardson made a name for himself as one of the top snipers from three-point distance in the league because of the amount of great looks that Steve Nash was giving him on the open court fast break. Speaking of the fast break, the seven seconds or less offense now that that, that we see now heavily prevalent in most of the teams in the NBA was because of the Phoenix Suns, because of the Nash-led Phoenix Suns back in that era. Seven seconds or less, push the ball up the court, get a quick bucket in, that was all Nash. Well, Nash and D'Antoni uh, as a coach, mind you, but he was a driving force behind that. So what are we talking about? Okay, yeah, he averaged 15 points a game. He averaged also half assists a game as well. He averaged a double-double. And that double-double was enough to lead the Phoenix Suns to a top three seed in the Western Conference in the 2000s when the Western Conference was a fucking juggernaut. The only thing he wasn't able to do in his career, unfortunately, was win a, w- was win a championship. But again, that just shows how deep and how loaded the West was. And at the time of his reign, when the Phoenix Suns were were one of the top-contending teams, Kobe and the Lakers were barely a playoff team. Barely. 2005, they didn't make the playoffs. 2006, they were the seventh seed, if I'm not mistaken. And yet, somehow, someway, people to this day are still bitching bitching and moaning and complaining and bitching and bitching and bitching that Steve Nash shouldn't have won that MVP award in 2006. Why? All because of the fact that Kobe averaged 35 a game as a seventh seed? Yeah, sorry. No, it's not happening. Shaq still has a grudge against 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 Steve Nash to this very day. Oh, uh, I'm the big diesel. I'm the Big Zelda. I should have won MVP that year. It should have been me. It should. Nigga, you are playing second fiddle to Dwayne Wade. When was the last time they gave second option players the MVP award? The fuck we talking about? Listen, man, listen, going back to Perkins and his and his original take, it's stupid. It's, it's retarded. And it just goes back to the culture once again, because you're literally just blaming everything on the white man. Oh, it's the white man's fault that that Jason Tatum's not getting the MVP. You know, it's it's, it's the white man's fault that, that that Giannis isn't getting MVP. You, you know what? Let's, let's talk about Giannis real quick, all right? So, while he was having this debate with JJ Reddick, who, by the way, shout out to JJ Reddick, who's probably, like, the most excoriated analyst out of everyone in the league. And I'm talking about player turn analyst analysts. He's one of the few player turn analysts who actually knows how to analyze the fucking game. Him... Candace Parker, Matt Barnes, there's a few other names, but those are the three names that come to mind that I can actually listen to their to their takes on basketball and not roll my eyes at the back of my head. Alright? But I digress. Kendrick was out here trying to state that these guys are only these guys only wanted because they were whites. Okay. And he was trying to state. To JJ Redick, that you know they're moving the goalpost. They're moving the goalposts for 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 Jokic, but no one else gets that same treatment. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Listen, I mentioned Giannis, okay? Perkins was talking about how he's not going to allow the likes of of uh, Joel Embiid and Giannis to be disrespected. However, it wasn't that long ago. Back in 2020, during the bubble, when Perkins and other people, Perkins was the lead voice behind us. But Perkins was the one out here saying how Chris Middleton is better than Giannis. And this is the same season that Giannis not only won MVP, but defensive player of the year in the same fucking season. The first player since Hakeem Olajuwon to, to complete that and only the third player in NBA history to accomplish that next to Hakeem and next to Michael Jordan. And you're now you're out here three years later talking about, I will not allow Giannis to be. Nigga, shut the fuck up. You were out here being the driver of that bandwagon to disrespect Giannis and now you want to jump on his dick all because you don't want to see someone that you perceive to be the great white hope as the MVP. And on top of that, let, let's get to that real quick. If the right, let's just say it it was obviously proven that the 8% stat was fake, but let's just, let's just, you know, go into a fantasy world where it was actually true. If you feel as though there's such a huge racial bias amongst these uh, white media members who are tired of voting for black players and and are that racist, then why the fuck would they even be affiliated with the NBA in the first place if they are, in fact, that level racist? If the NBA media was that racist, don't you think we would have way more white MVP players? Like, literally, Jokic is like the first white player since Steve Nash to win the MVP. And and the last MVP award that Nash won was way back in 2006. So when Jokic won it in, what, 2021, I believe, he was the first white player in 15 years to do it. I mean, if that were the case, don't you think Luka would have won the MVP by now just by him averaging a near triple-double? And it's not like they're like white American bread. These guys are from Eastern Europe. So what do these white voters have in common with Eastern Europeans? I would understand if they were all from Serbia or Slovenia or Latvia or Lithuania or Russia or the Ukraine or Moldova or any other Slavic or Balkan European country. But they're not. They're as American as apple pie, they say. And yet, you're trying to make a conspiracy stating that he's only getting the consideration for for his third MVP award in a row because he's white. All you're doing is spreading false narratives and creating tension between fans and turning it into a, a race war. So it doesn't need to be that. Can you just appreciate the fact that he's playing good basketball? I mean, God forbid, if Anthony Davis was playing the type of game that Jokic just played. oh my God, you guys would be nutting in your pants by now. But no, we're talking about how this guy doesn't deserve to be the MVP for a third year in a row because he's white. These are the type of country bumpkin Negroes that embarrass the fuck out of me. And the fact that he can barely articulate himself to a regular English standard is what makes it even worse. Because he sounds like a a Kentucky Fried Country bumpkin when he talks. I say, I say, he should not be the MVP because he's white. You heard what I said. You heard what I said. I said it. But then the joke is, when JJ called him out for, for having such... A stupid take he tried to deny it dude you've already like you've already been on camera before that before that back and forth with JJ stating that you thought that Jokic was only gonna win because he was white you implied it numerous times but now you're trying to deny it because now you realize how stupid you sound this is why you should not put microphones in front of certain black people I'm listen Some of you are going to listen to this out of context or you're going to listen to it in full context and think that I'm sounding like Uncle Ruckus 2.0 or Candace Owens or some shit like that. I promise you that's not the case. If that's what you feel, that's your opinion. You're entitled to it. But I hate it when people who look like me have stupid opinions like this that they can't properly articulate or can't properly back up with facts or stats or they'll leave out certain numbers to further their narrative. Further example, JJ Reddick also called him out on that. And basically said how the fact that you cut it off at 1990 was very convenient. Because of the fact that Magic Johnson in 1987, 88, sorry, sorry. In 1987, uh, 89, and 90 won the MVP award. But he did it by not being in the top 10 in scoring. So it's okay for Magic Johnson to win the MVP award without being top 10 in scoring. But if Jokic or Nash or jerk do it, it's a problem. Ladies and gentlemen, I've said my piece on this. I've said my point. Question is for you guys. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Do you think that this guy steps out of his house wearing a red helmet, eating crayons for a living? Hit me up if you agree or disagree. Share me your thoughts and let me know what you guys think on the matter because this guy's a fucking idiot. And that leads us to the final segment of the day. And man, I got I'll, I got a lot more left in the clip for this bitch right here. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wanksta of the Week. Said you were and, you need to stop and this week's Wankster of the Week goes to none other than a person who goes by the name of Dominique the Diva. Or as I like to call her, Dominique the Yoruba Devil. She's getting the wankster of the week because if you remember earlier in the podcast, I talked about um, the person who was interviewing Michael B. Jordan on that red carpet who went by the name of Bootleg European Shampoo L'Oreal. And I mentioned how she was on a podcast with another person. Dominique the de Yoruba Devil is that other person that she was on the podcast with. Uh, Dominique person, in fact, is a host of said podcast. And that was a podcast that I was referring to where in 2021 they were talking about Michael B. Jordan being corny. And talking about how, you know, men who don't, black men specifically, who don't pertain to the black nigga stereotype are seen as corny, whitewashed, lame, whatever you want to call it. Okay? All right. We have full context. Great. So, when that clip started going around... Um, she and L'Oreal started receiving backlash for it. Thankfully, thankfully, my God. They started receiving backlash for it. And while I don't believe that the L'Oreal check said anything, the Dominique check decided to double down on her comments. So she said the following comments about Michael B. Jordan on her IG post. So this is what she said, and I quote, Any black man that dates white women are corny to me. I guess that PR relationship with Lori helped y'all forget, but I didn't. So, there's more things that she said, but let me just stick to this for a second. So, she is alleging that Michael B. Jordan has dated white women before, and because of that, that makes him corny. Okay? Now... I don't know about him dating white women in his past, like before he became the megastar that he is now. All I know was that he had photos of him with, you know, whether they're white women or non-black women in general. They, they surfaced on the internet during around the time that Black Panther was being released or whatever. And I thought nothing of it. I was like, okay, cool. Picture of him and a pretty girl. Okay, cool. But some people ran with this and oh he only likes white women oh my god no he he doesn't respect the black women oh my god no he doesn't respect his own mom because he doesn't have an interest in black women oh my god oh. and clearly she's trying to hop on that bandwagon by saying that But well, my question to her is this what does him defending himself in front of a woman who chastised him all throughout his high school career have anything to do with the fact or not even the fact, but have anything to to do with the notion that he may or may not be into white women, even if he is. So fucking what? Who gives a shit? And it wouldn't make sense for him to be into black women anyway. If all if all he's ever experienced for black women is negative comments like him being quote unquote corny, all because of the fact that he's not a gangster. Of course he would date outside of, outside his race pool. If all he ever got from black women is, "Oh, you're corny," "Oh, you're whitewash. "Oh, you look like you date white girls," "Oh, you seem like you date white girls." Of course he's gonna date outside his pool. Of course, Because all y'all guys do is chastise the fuck out of him. Again, none of that is confirmed as far as him dating a white women. But if he did, I wouldn't blame him. If you can't get love from your own people, then why are you gonna seek it out from them any further? The only thing she said that I agree with to a certain extent is him dating Lori Harvey as a way of trying to get you know the the rub or the nudge or the the, the rub or the nudge from the black community. Be like, hey guys, look at me, I'm down, I'm down, I'm down. You know, accept like, me into the culture. Because I did mention that earlier in the pod. That's the only thing I, I partially agree with. But the way she's framing it is where I disagree with because she's trying to make the smear campaign about. It him not liking black women at all i think he does i think he likes everyone i think i genuinely believe that michael b jordan is attracted to all women i genuinely believe that but she's trying to make it sound like that's not the case which is just unequivocally false and not only that but the way the way she's going off about this it, it 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 screams out two things it screams out a false sense of entitlement which i've seen from some black women as it pertains to Black men who date outside the race, whether it's on a large scale like Hollywood celebrities or it's just just very basic, average, everyday stuff, which then leads to my next point, which is the fact that whenever a black woman does do that. And again, let me reiterate, not all black women do this. Not all, not all, only some, some, but a very vocal some, if I may say so myself. But whenever women, whenever some black women allege to that, it also leads into very strong Incel behavior. The fact that you're trying to take ownership over somebody's preferences, the fact that you're trying to dictate to them who they should like and why they should like you is very inceli. It's very incelly. Very inceli. But of course, you can't use that term on a woman because you know women don't there are some women out there who they're you know it's impossible for women to have to have you know incel vibes, right? But no, no, no. When you're out here dictating who a man should be dating and, and get mad at them for them not dating you? That sounds like an incel. I'm just saying. So let's continue on with this quote. Alright, let's let's continue on with this. So she continues on to say, and I quote, Nick Cannon coined to he got mad, women, babies, and money. I thought we were all doing our Sierra player. Sierra Prayer for a nice corny Russell Wilson to save us from these toxic niggas. No? Okay. I don't know what Nick Cannon has to do with any of this. Like, last time I checked, he wasn't in the story, but Nick Cannon well is i in my opinion somebody who has also been perceived as quote-unquote corny mainly because of the fact that his career started as one of the original nickelodeon kids in the mid-90s and him doing family-friendly movies and everything in between right it's only recently i would say like within the last 10 years that he's tried to get his his stripes from the black community or the hip-hop community or the, the culture if you will whether it's his inclusion of uh of uh, battle rappers on Wild and that which I thought is a very nice addition. But again, he got like the most hood ones to be on there, who also have personality and stuff like that. Whether it's that, whether it's the fact that he is having kids with every other woman that y- you can think of. Like I think he has like ten kids by now. Like he's guana like he's a Jamaican guy for some reason. Like I like I and and then also his his remarks about you know black people being the original Jews and all that. It's like. So it's like, dude, like, calm down. Calm the fuck down, right? But anyways, that's the side tangent. Maybe she mentioned that because, I, because of all those things. Who knows? But I'm not going to put it past her. So there's that. And then she said the comment about the Sierra prayer, which which, which larkens back to, um, uh, what's that dumb girl's name? Summer Walker and how she had a song called Sierra's Prayer, which is literally a prayer that I guess Sierra wrote and recorded on that. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's actually an actual prayer. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It sounds stupid as fuck, though. Please, God. Please, God, find me a man. Find me a man to save me from my own peril that I created for myself because I lack responsibility and accountability. That's literally what it sounds like. And so, like, let me read this quote one more time with regards to Russell Wilson. I thought we were all doing our Sierra prayer for a nice, corny Russell Wilson to save us from these toxic niggas. First of all, you shouldn't be relying on any man, man. To save you from toxic niggas, let alone Russell Wilson. You know why? Because you're a toxic bitch. And if you really want to save yourself from toxicity, then stop dating toxic men and stop trying to attract toxic men. Because all you're going to be doing is rolling around in a radioactive pool full of toxicity that will lead to nothing but extreme misery for the rest of your life. Which will lead you to blaming no one else but yourself. That is your problem, sweetheart. No one told you to dick toxic dudes. That's what you did. That's what you chose for yourself. And now you're blaming other people for your own misfortunes that you put onto yourself. Her including all that extra shit made no sense to me. The the Nick Cannon thing, the Russell Wilson thing, and then him and then her calling Russell Wilson corny again because he's not a game he's not a he's not a gangster rapper, he doesn't do any nefarious activities, he's just a guy who plays football, who happens to have a very deep uh religious background. And that's it. That's that's literally all I know about the guy. That's literally all I know about the guy. And yet you're calling him corny. Again, why why hmm? It's just funny how in other circles, in other racialized communities across North America, they call this behavior nice. They call it nice. They call it humble. I mean, there's a million positive names and adjectives for it. But either it's one of two things. Either it's just like it's recognized and it's like, okay, cool. He's a nice guy. Or it's celebrated. It's like, oh, my gosh, he's such a nice guy. You want to see this person win. But in the black community within North America, at the very least, I don't know about how it is in the Caribbean or, or in the African continent or any other diaspora in the world, but at least in North America, it's called being corny, it's called being lame, it's called being whitewashed. And that is a behavior, an attitude that needs to change, and quite frankly, I'm sick and tired of talking about it. So, hopefully, I never have to, well, okay, no, that's wishful thinking. I know I'm going to come across a story like this again. I just hope that it's not on the front page news of, you know, pop culture and what have you. But until then, Dominique the Yoruba Devil is getting this wankster with extreme prejudice. And that about does it for another edition of Cool Radio, my friends. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. It's a good thing that I'm ending it off right now because my headphones just died. (laughs) So I can't hear my own voice going through the speakers, but it's all good. Uh, I'm still recording, which is good. That's an important thing. But anyways um yeah let's keep this energy going man I'm, I'm i'm really loving the feedback that i've been getting from the pods as of late uh especially from the one that i did about two weeks ago so let's keep that energy going let's keep that momentum going it's still cool 10 we're celebrating the cool 10 the, the, the 10 year anniversary of cool radio you already know what what um yeah hit me up on all my social media platforms whether it's uh twitter whether it's instagram hit me up at dm underscore cool or cool for thought so cool the number four and then thought all one word um, also, you can catch this podcast on multiple platforms, including Spotify, Google Play, and uh, what's it, uh, SoundCloud as well. And as you already know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace. Cool.